0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome and happy National Seniors Day. Well, it's getting down to the wire just three weeks to go before the federal election. I got my voting registration card in the mail yesterday. And since it's Tuesday, it's time for our crack strategy panel to give us a sense of where things are at in the party war rooms and out in the streets. And I want to start with a very interesting Angus Reid survey of the 67 closest riding races in 2015, the last election. Overall, the Liberals won those with a nine-point advantage last time. But at this point, the Conservatives are in the lead of voter intentions by 6% in those. And by the way, those will probably give you a sense of whether or not you are seeing any party leaders in your home riding. So I'd like to hear from you about what you think. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 866 740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stints, former City Councilor and current CEO of Variety Village, and... Charles Byrd, Managing Principal of Ernst Clip Strategy Group in Toronto. Welcome, everybody.
2: Hello there.
3: Good afternoon. Thank you for having us.
1: Okay. Well, so w- what do we make of that? I mean, it, it's uh, reasonable to assume that at this point, all the parties are concentrating on those close ridings uh, and not on the safe ones.
2: Well, Libby, I always say that with polls you know they're a snapshot in time uh, except for when the conservatives are leading and then of course I, I comment quite positively <laughs> about the polls and say how the right they are and now they're capturing the essence of, of voters in uh, in Canada but uh, but no w- w- polls are that they're a snapshot in time I think and, and and what we're seeing now more and more are more and more individual polls that are out there and, and they all have their own spe- specific questions that they ask and their methodology and all that kind of stuff and now we've got uh, aggregate polls that we're hearing as well through CBC and other other channels where they're aggregating all these polls and some numbers and it shows a tight race no matter what and I think a couple of polls are showing that the Conservatives have taken a lead by a point or two or three in some cases uh, which falls within the margin of error. But what's interesting about with the polls that you were just talking about with respect to the ridings and that is every party has their own internal polling that they do strategically and they will look at ridings they will look at regions they will look at provinces and they'll see if there's any shift that's happening and if there's a shift in the positive they will go and make sure that their leaders there and ensure. That that they show up some of the support, especially as you get into the second half of the campaign. Um, but I'm encouraged, I think, by the fact that that there is a shift. And I've always said that there's going to be a lingering effect on the campaign that at some point is going to is going to really take off. And there's two more milestones yet to go. One is the debates are going to happen in the next week or two, uh, and the other one is Thanksgiving weekend. Where long weekends in campaigns are actually quite pivotal in some cases because people and families get together and they talk about issues. and they issues. argue? And they argue and they but but we've seen a lot of cases uh, where after a long weekend in a campaign, polls start to people start to formulate their opinions and start to make decisions. And, and it affects the polling down the road.
1: And it's the Thanksgiving this year is exactly a week before the
2: election.
1: Exactly. So, uh, Karen, what do you make of uh, that? A specific look at the close writings from last time? Well, you know, I think
3: that, um, you know, heading into the 2015 election, I think everyone thought it was Stephen Harper's to lose. And many conservatives were surprised that he lost it. So I'm not it's not surprising that those uh, 67 or so ridings were so close and were so contested. Um, it's interesting to hear that the leaders are only coming to the areas where there's a tight race, uh, as it was Andrew Shear was out at Variety Village yesterday. So we'll see how tight the race is in Scarborough Southwest. Uh, if Justin Trudeau comes, then we'll know it's a tight race. <laughs> <laughs> so, But um, I do agree with John um, that I think this Thanksgiving weekend will be a critical point. Sometimes elections are already decided before the long weekend, and then it it, it becomes a non-event. But I think this election, there's still a lot of volatility. Charles?
4: Well, I I bumped into John yesterday, and we had a great chat about what is exactly going on in this campaign, because I mean, over the last two and a half months, if you sort of look at the aggregate polling, um, it has been flat. I mean, the two main parties have been pretty much deadlocked within statistical error, margin of error. Um, And so we talked about a lot of different factors. And when I got home last night, I was telling my wife about this great conversation I'd had with John about what's really going on in the election. And my wife said, uh, no one cares. No one knows what's happening. Happening. That's what's going on, she said, because, you know, parents so have our listeners care school. and they <laughs> yeah, know indeed. it's happening. But a lot of Canadians just haven't tuned in. I mean, that and that is a reality of, of this campaign. And the other thing is that change just does not appear to be a driving force. And, you know, that was obviously getting rid of Stephen Harper was one of the, the driving forces of the 2015 campaign. That sentiment really doesn't exist this time around.
2: Yeah, I would say, I would say that change in elections happen when the incumbent government's been in power for more than one term. Yeah. You saw that with Kathleen yeah. Wynne in, in 15 years of liberal government rule. Uh, you saw that with Stephen Harper with 10 years and others. Um, I think that with, with Justin Trudeau and the fact that it's only been one term, uh, it's a reason why you haven't seen campaign slogans talk about change or making it into a change election, because that's not really what I think that they feel voters are going to want to vote on. Um, what you're hearing is about making it about you and the various slogans that, that are out there with respect to the various campaign teams. Um, and in the case of the conservatives, they want to make sure that they're telling voters, if you voted for Justin Trudeau in 2015 for a certain specific reason, is it is he the same person today that you voted for four years ago? And are you better off now than you were four years ago? And I think that's where some of the messaging is going to happen with respect to to that. But um, you know, when we talk about strategic writings, I think we find that you know, it really comes down to a couple of provinces. All provinces are important and are critical. But when you have seat mass in the, in the capacity of Ontario and Quebec, those become battlegrounds when it's this type of a race. Um, because those are the seats that are going to swing one way or the other. they will make a difference between either minority liberal or minority conservative or in some cases a majority.
3: Well, and I think the interesting thing to watch will be the NDP because they they're talking about it's deflating, it's collapsing. They're still, I think, trending at thirteen percent in the polls, which is slightly lower than what they normally would. But the Green Party is also healthy. Mm-hmm. Now, I it will be curious to see if those numbers stay the same or if, come election day, people actually choose between the two parties. And I and I think that there is uh, there is. Uh, the polls aren't accurately predicting what might happen on Election Day, particularly if those other two parties do collapse or deflate even further.
1: Well, yeah. And uh, if they don't, they will uh, split the left progressive vote. And if they do, uh, they won't. Yeah. Uh, so um, speaking of Andrew Scheer, uh over the weekend, there was uh, this controversy over the f- the fact that he fudged his resume at least a little bit by saying he was an insurance broker when his license hadn't come through. And then I even heard him saying that, gee, he had all kinds of jobs before he went into politics. Uh, you know, yes, summer jobs as a student.
4: Wasn't he a thoracic surgeon?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, How far can so, you get on Charm and Good so, Looks Alone? Um, I don't know how damaging that is, but, but it kind of, doesn't it, does it cut in into the things that he can say against Justin Trudeau?
2: Well, I think. Certainly, it sort of it's a distraction, without a doubt. And I think that in, in, in Andrew Shear's um, explanation of what happened, and certainly within the province of Saskatchewan, where the where the laws of being an insurance broker are somewhat different provincially than other other jurisdictions, um, he was basically, you know, he was licensed to be an insurance person uh, with respect to having gone through a, a through a degree or some sort of a program, of and he had just yeah. left before he became he became an official broker. Um, but nonetheless, I think you're you're, you're you're splitting hairs on this. But when you're comparing I think, you know, what Justin Trudeau did in his past with respect to the brown face, black face, with respect to someone who might that have said wasn't
1: a profession, <laughs> well, no, but it was a judgment
2: call. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, at an age when he should have known better. And I think uh, with with Andrew Shear, it was a question of should have used the word broker versus, uh, you know, an insurance salesperson or whatever the case may be. But I think it's more of a distraction. I'm not really getting a lot of folks talking about this in, in any sort of significant way.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that certainly it reinforces that, uh, you know, if if conservatives say that they're more attuned to the real world, obviously, he basically has not had a real job outside of politics. He's started at the age of 25. Yeah, and, and I think that really, so I
3: don't think this story is going to stick to him because I, uh, my first response was, oh. I didn't know he was an insurance broker. Right? I thought he was in politics most of his life. Right? So I don't think the fact that whether he was a broker or a clerk or whatever he did—I mean, I my my impression of Andrew Shearer was one that he spent his life in politics. So the fact that he had this, uh, you know, insurance business thing going on—it it actually it made no impact on me because I didn't even realize that he had done that job.
4: Charles, boy, when when <laughs> your attack against your principal rival is not as advertised, and it turns out that.
3: Oh, come on. He's Nobody thought the man was an advertised.
1: insurance broker, for heaven's sakes. Um, no we, had we had heard that. We had heard that. Go ahead. <Libby. laughs>
4: no, no, you you go ahead.
1: You go ahead. Um,
4: I don't think that's the chief issue, though. I do think that, um, you know, this is putting Andrew Shear under tremendous pressure, and you can see it in his face. And as recently as yesterday during his campaign appearances, that um, – uh, you know, as I've noted previously, it is a very, very difficult thing to be uh, a first time party leader leading your leading your party in an election. It's enormous psychological pressure and you can see it on his face. And this is part of the price of, you know, these kinds of things erupting. And you can compare and contrast how leaders deal with the inevitable fallout that comes from incidents like this. Um and uh, I think it speaks for itself.
1: Okay. Um, getting to the brown face, black face thing. So all over social media uh, this morning, there was the saying there's this new picture. I have the new picture in front of me. It comes, we should know, from warrenkinsella.com. And Warren Kinsella hates Justin Trudeau. That's just a fact. And it's he's with a group of people who all seem to have painted faces he's wearing an afro um there's a lot of white under his eyes and part of his face is dark and part not i i can't tell is this mocking uh, traditional african uh face painting or are they zombies uh, I, I i'm gonna hold it up to the camera because <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> but uh, is this is this something that will reignite the controversy
2: well, I, I, I saw the picture for the first time just now, Libyan, and It's disturbing in a sense of, again, it shows a pattern. If it was a one-off and there's a, it was a party, I'm not even sure what the context of the of the picture is. It a, is it a, some sort of a costume party? Or we know that, that Justin has a, a thing about costumes and, and wearing um, outfits at, at various events and various functions and, and whatnot, but I'm not sure what the context of this is. But I think what's troubling and what what people will see in that uh, is that if it was a one-off, I'm sure they would just slough it off as, okay, they're having fun or they're doing something, we're not sure what. Um, but the fact that it's been now a number of occasions where he's painted his face um, black or brown and he's wearing a wig that is, uh, that is um, you know, with his hair all out, it, it just shows, again, what is he thinking and, and what's going on? And I think that's where Canadians might might take some pause about this picture.
3: Well, and certainly it, it feeds into that narrative when he himself said, I don't actually know how many times I've worn blackface. So whether, it, whether he knew that about this incident or there's other incidents, I, I mean, we don't know. Um, but the fact that he's wearing an afro would lead one to believe that he's in some type of makeup and costume. But, but again, without the context, it's hard to yeah. say for certain. But but again, by his own admission, he doesn't know how many times he's mm-hmm. done this.
1: Yeah. And there are other people in the picture who don't have afros, who have half their face uh, dark and half their face white. I yeah. mean, I can't tell what the heck they're trying to do there. Charles is... is I think this, it's or, safe
4: to say there's a lot of different ways you could interpret that picture. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <you> know, um, <laughs> it's, it's already baked into the equation. The yeah. prime minister has apologized. His apology was sincere. Um and I don't see this making much of a ripple.
1: Well, and there's nothing new. I mean, he's done it before. Um. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is is this uh, is this still a problem? If it was yesterday, <laughs> well, I'm asking Charles. <laughs> oh, is it still a problem? Are people in the campaign um worried still about blackface, brownface? Um. No.
4: Not terribly. I mean, it is. Um, Uh, It has had no discernible impact on voter intent, which I think is a a credit to the remarkable brand that the Minister enjoys. Um, As I've said before, there are a certain number of Canadians who really want him to do well. And something like this in another campaign context would be cataclysmic. And uh, in this instance, it just seems to have uh, been water off a duck's back, which is strange. And that may speak to the strength of his apology and how quickly he dealt with it.
2: I I would say that, uh, and I think Charles is is right about the brand, and there's a lot of people who are just, you know, uh, liberals through and through, as they are conservatives through and through, no matter what who the leader is, no matter what they he or she may do. Um, and there's a brand and loyalty to the actual leaders themselves that 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 happen throughout campaigns and whatnot. Um, but I think this is the kind of thing that will be brought up at Thanksgiving dinners across. The country um, where you know people will and again it might have faded in the past if this didn 't come up, and if this picks up as you say social media wise and it goes viral and, and some of the mainstream media will pick up on this, and if there 's one more picture that comes up before Thanksgiving, then it becomes a discussion about him and about what he 's doing, and that may have an effect on the polls and how people decide how to vote
3: well i think it 's also a question of the timing of this because before we knew that it was when he was younger and or doing his Arabian nights. Now, again, I have no idea what the date of this picture is, but I think the only damaging thing that could come around another blackface photo was if it was in more recent history, because that would then change the narrative of his apology and change the narrative of why my understanding is people have been forgiving him because it was an indiscretion of youth. It was he's apologized for it. You know, he hasn't done it in 20 years. But as I say, if this was done, I don't know when this was done, but that would certainly change the narrative and be damaging.
1: OK, um. In the Toronto Star of all places, a, an exclusive story saying that Doug Ford is really tired of Trudeau taking all these shots at him because Trudeau keeps talking about Doug Ford on the campaign and that, um, and that. Doug Ford is would love to strike back, but so far he's been restrained. John
2: Libby, say it isn't so. The Toronto Star talking ill of Doug Ford. No, Come
1: they're on. not. They're saying that he's tired of these cheap shots. <laughs> well, I
2: mean, I'm, I'm sure he is, and I'm sure any leader would be if if they um, uh, become the target of of you know constant day in day out you know attacks on on them on themselves and on their characters. Another one this um,
1: morning when he was asked about it. By the way. Oh well, no! Listen, yeah. if
2: we if we if there was a drinking game uh, that was happening. <laughs> (laughs) in this election campaign for every time Justin Trudeau or any liberal candidate mentioned Doug Ford or Stephen Harper. Uh, There'd be a lot of drunk people out there. Um, uh, But but I think it it speaks to Strategy that the Liberals are trying to um, uh, impart here, and that is, uh, Andrew Shear is not known by a lot of Canadians, therefore he's not hated by a lot of Canadians, and there's nothing that you can attack Andrew Shear that might stick or might cause someone not to vote for him, uh, as there was with Stephen Harper, who was much more of a known quantity, and as Doug Ford is as a known quality. So there's there's a there's a reason why the Liberals are strategically mentioning Stephen Harper in every announcement and there's in, in, in commercials. Same with Doug Ford because they're hoping that if people don't like either one of them, it's a reminder to say, hey, voting for Andrews is a voting for, a vote for them, when in fact, Stephen Harper's not in this election, uh, Doug Ford is Premier of the province, uh, and and quite frankly, I think that the, the gap is narrowing between those who might not like Doug Ford and those who do, because I think Doug Ford has played it very smartly by staying out of this election. Um, he's letting his ministers do all the announcements, and they're all very positive announcements that are happening on a daily basis, and he's not
1: bringing
2: the legislature back until after the election.
1: Yeah, Well, uh, yeah, and he took a lot of flack for that. Uh, Charles Byrd, so first of all, are you surprised that Doug Ford has been so restrained in not responding to the prime minister?
4: No, I'm not surprised at all. And I have to say it's uh, it's a credit to his political skill that he has resisted the temptation to lash out. And um, it is, uh, you know, we'll see just how much he can take. I mean, this is kind of like, you know the premier with a cheeseburger in front of him and the cheeseburger saying, oh, I'm so delicious. And then the cheeseburger saying, oh, you're afraid to eat me. You're a big coward. And, you know, at some point he may want to take a big bite of that cheeseburger. Uh,
2: (laughs) Charles, I'm hungry now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I could say something to that, but I will restrain myself. Uh, Karen, uh, do you think it's a smart strategy to keep invoking Doug Ford? Well, I think at the beginning of the
3: campaign, we saw it as a strategy because Doug Ford was quite unpopular. Uh, but at, at some point, if Justin Trudeau is, wins the election, he will have permanently damaged a relationship with the premier of the largest province in the country. And that could make his life very difficult over the next four years. So um, I think at some point it, it crosses over to becoming a tactical strategy, to becoming maybe something that could hurt him in the long term, because um, knowing Doug and working with Doug, it, he has a long memory. And, <laughs> and, yeah. and he's not, he's not just going to uh, let this one brush off if, if, if Justin Trudeau is actually successful in in this election. So he could, he, it, it could come back to bite him.
1: Okay. Well, um, let me give the numbers out again. I bet our listeners have a few views on that. Doug Ford just, uh, staying mum on all these attacks from the Prime Minister, from Justin Trudeau, uh, making him the target of the election. 416-360-0740, toll-free 740 4740 And uh, are, do you think that's a smart strategy of Doug to keep quiet about it? Uh, do you think that he should strike back? And what do you think of the strategy as a whole? Is it is it speaking to you? Are you going to vote for Trudeau because you don't like Doug Ford? perhaps. Um, and with our panel, I'd like to hit on something else. So the polls all show healthcare as the number one issue, and climate change as the number two issue. So my observations about this on healthcare, I would think it's really hard to compare the parties, they all say they will protect healthcare, emphasizing different parts of the system. So that is point number one. And point number two, people are saying climate change is a big issue, but are they actually going to vote on it?
2: My sense is that um, I think Given the press that we've seen on climate change and and Greta Thunberg and and the whole rallies that we've seen, which are quite impressive, and and quite frankly, the fact that the the young voters were 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 young people were mobilized enough to be able to to do that is is an impressive uh, thing. I have a 17 year old daughter, and and the fact that she was talking about it uh, is it's quite impressive. So from that perspective, but I also think that, that that there are people who are voters who will say, yeah, healthcare for sure, education for sure, environment is something that I'm, I care about, and are getting more and more sort of into that into that issue. Um, but I still believe the economy and, and pocketbook issues are what drives voters to the polls, I think, in some cases. Um, what we saw in 2015, uh, you know, with, with the millennials all going to vote for the liberals because of a certain policy issue. In that case it was the marijuana, yeah. legalizing marijuana, and they felt really strong about that, so they went out and voted for that. Um, this time around, what we're seeing in the polls is that same demographic is not voting for the liberals. They're looking elsewhere, and it could very very well be the green or the NDP, most likely the green if, if climate change is an issue for them. But I do think that um, uh, they all fall in the same category of being important. But also, it's always a question of, do I have a job tomorrow? And is the economy going to be safe and, and sound in the next four years?
3: Karen? Well, it's it's. Um, I don't want to be cynical on the matter, but I, I think that when we talked about what polls mean, I think this is a snapshot in time based on the conversations that have been Taking place over the last couple of weeks, um, particularly at the UN and the rally and whatnot, um, whether they they inspired young people to go out and vote I think is a question. If they do vote, whether they vote for the Liberals is another question because there's discontent over the pipeline, and so it 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 becomes a very complicated question around if if climate change actually matters to a large group of people. How are they actually going to vote on it? And it's not entirely clear that either party, except the Green Party, can lay claim to owning that issue.
1: Well, it's 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 interesting, too. You're talking about young people if they mean the climate change. But, you know, I was surprised to see that in our Zoomer vote poll, that it's the number two issue for older people. My sense is, is they're not going to vote on it. What, what do you think, Charles?
4: Well, I'm trying to think of the last time in Canada we saw millions of young people taking to the streets as they did last Friday. I mean, it was a remarkable showing. And, you know, it's um, in 2015, obviously, young people turned out in droves. John would tell you that they wanted to see marijuana legalized. I'm more inclined to think it had to do with getting rid of Stephen Harper. And there was a big question as to whether...
1: I'll agree with John on this one. (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> uh, but there was a big, there was a big question as to whether um, young people would be inclined to turn out in similar numbers this time, and if there is an issue that may just produce that kind of result, it's it's likely climate change. I mean, it could not be better timed for the liberal campaign, and you know, especially in terms of the clear contrast. In the positions adopted by the liberals versus the position do- adopted by the conservatives on, you know, the need to price carbon, price pollution, and actually take meaningful action.
2: Libby, can I just say quickly yes. before you go to your callers? I, I just I, I would say with to Charles that if it is beca- if climate change is the key issue, I'm not sure liberals will be the beneficiaries of that. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, what we saw with Greta Thunberg, sort of you know, blasting the liberals, saying You've, you haven't gone enough. Uh, the fact that he was even jeered and booed at at, at the parade and whatnot, I think was was telling. By but if they're going to make that an issue, they'll go to the Greens before they'll go to any other party. Uh,
1: that, that would seem to make sense. Uh, let's take a call from Tom on the 427. Hi, Tom. Oh, well, hi. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. Um, my opinion is uh, Justin
5: Trudeau and the liberals attacking Doug Ford and Stephen Harper is really getting sort of tiresome because Justin can't run on his own record. He has to attack Doug Ford and Stephen Harper. Uh, but having said that, I really like Andrew Scheer's announcement today of cutting funding to rogue terrorist countries. Um, and instead of giving terrorist countries the money, spending the money on Canadians.
1: Well, he like, said he was actually, cutting like, foreign aid. What, what countries? Well, maybe. Well,
5: apparently, apparently, Canada's been giving foreign aid to North Korea, And, uh, I ran, you know, so what does that tell me? There's little Canadian flags on their missiles that they're firing at people.
1: Okay. Thanks for that, Tom. All right. Bob in Toronto. Hi, Bob.
5: Hi Libby. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a whole variety of things to talk about. I, I agree with your, uh, commentators that, um, we have um, sort of a non-issue in the election. I think a lot of people are sort of blase about the whole thing. Um, I think, unfortunately, we are falling into exactly what's happened to most Western countries. We're splitting down the middle. Those who are uh, diehard liberal supporters remain that. Those who are diehard conservative supporters remain that. And what we're ending up with is, is a very interesting kind of a democracy. I mean, we only have one vote. You have a choice. You cannot, you can only vote for your local MP.
1: How many votes would you like?
5: Um, well, <laughs> uh, if I go to vote in the city, I get to vote for my oh. councillor. I get to vote for the mayor. I get to vote for uh, my trustee. If I was an American, I would be able to vote for my senator, my house of representative member, and also I would But get you couldn't the vote for your vote president. Personally for the president.
1: No, you couldn't vote for your president unless you were in the electoral college. But... No,
5: no no because when it when, <laughs> when it comes out as a vote you actually get a chance to cast a ballot for the president.
1: Okay? Yeah.
5: Now there is a great deal of discussion about the fact that Tr- President Trump lost by the popular vote. Forty-nine point vog- nine percent. Sorry, Bob,
1: we're post- we're starting to run out of time. Can you kind of uh, um, just what what are you leaving us with in your well, comment? What, here?
5: I, what I'm leaving us with is that uh, I guess I have a prediction. Uh, basically, um, Quebec and Ontario, as your people have said are basically the strong areas for the liberals. And those people who think that Justin walks on water will vote for him. Those people who can't stand him won't. But those two provinces are going to determine the election. It's just a matter of um, if if you're conservative, you think blackface is horrible. If you're a liberal, well, it doesn't make any difference. So essentially when quebec and ontario vote that will determine whether we get justin back
1: okay yes i i would have to agree with you on that as well thanks for your call bob okay um we are uh just about out of time so uh let's get back to our panel with a a final thought for today john what do we look at for the coming week a week uh a week yesterday uh, is the first big debate
2: yeah, so I think the debates are going to be key. It's the first ones that the prime minister is going to be part of, and I think all of the leaders, including Maxime Bernier, has been invited to the uh, to two set, the, the two um, uh, commissioned approved uh, debates. But that's going to be a milestone for sure. I think Canadians will 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 be tapping into that as well. Uh, and then I think Thanksgiving weekend, right after that, I think it'll be two key points to see where this campaign breaks.
1: Okay, Kara.
3: Yeah, I think the leader debates are always one that we watch, but it's really um, it's it's really. No one knocks it out of the park at a leader's debate. It's really whether they make a big error. And so my guess is that they will all do fine and it really won't move the needle one way or the other. I think the big thing that is worth paying attention to is if climate change does continue to become a major rallying cry for Canadians, how does that translate to the green vote? What happens to the NDP? And then where do those votes get siphoned from? I think that will be interesting to watch.
1: Okay, Charles?
4: Yeah, I think the dynamic around climate change is really if it becomes a defining issue among those who are determined to vote for the next government, be it liberal or conservative. Yeah, if if they get out there. And if it does become a defining issue in that regard, then Justin Trudeau will do extremely well. Um, If with regards to the debates um i mean it's going to be a crowded house on all three nights i mean you've got five participants in the english debate you've got six in the in the quebec debates courtesy of the the bloc quebecois leader who's someone to be watched actually by all uh, oh
1: yeah he's um well the the bloc is resurgent in quebec we we didn't have a chance to talk about that but we're going to be here uh, the day after the debate so we'll have a lot mm-hmm. to talk about then I,
4: we can argue about who said per, what yeah, to whom.
1: I personally am not sure if the debates are what they used to be. But we'll, we'll check in with that as well to see, if, are they really going to have that that impact, or are they too kind of stagey-stagey? Uh, anyway, in the meantime, thank you so much, Charles Bird, Karen Stints, and John Capobianco, and I'll see you all here next week.
2: Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Thank you.